Welcome to the Neon Noise Podcast, your home for learning ways to attract more traffic to your website, generate more leads, convert more leads into customers, and build stronger relationships with your customers. And now, your hosts, Justin Johnson and Ken Franzen. Hey, Neon Noise Nation. This is the Neon Noise Podcast, where we decode marketing and sales topics to help you grow your business. Hopefully, everyone is having a great day. This is Justin Johnson, and with me, I have my co-host, Mr. Ken Franzen. How is everything going today, Ken? Everything's great today, Justin. How about yourself? I am doing fabulous. Thank you very much. I am excited to learn more about social media and how to use it to get additional leads with our featured guest. Today, we have on Karina Issa. She is known internationally as the go-to person when it comes to social media marketing. She is an author and the CEO of Social Media Worldwide. Karina has written a number one international bestseller titled Money on Demand, The 16 Fastest Ways to Becoming a Millionaire Online. She has helped thousands of people and businesses from Australia, the UK, New Zealand, UAE, Switzerland, and Cyprus get consistent returns from their social media marketing efforts. Karina, it sounds like you've got quite a bit going on. Welcome to Neon Noise. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, do me a favor and fill in the gaps on anything that I may have missed and uh, share with us a little bit uh, about your background. Sure. Well, um, I started a few years ago, back in 2011, uh, my journey online. My dream initially when I was growing up was to become a television producer. That's the only thing I wanted to do. My, my father is a journalist and I always thought that his job was just fascinating. He, uh, he had a radio station at some point. He had a, a newspaper as well. And I just thought that the media industry was fascinating. So I thought, well, I'll I'll do the same and I'll become a TV producer. And that's really what I wanted to do all my life, really, uh, growing up. And I studied TV production in London and I got a few jobs in the uh, in the television industry. I worked for free a lot because in that, in that industry, you kind of have to um, work for free in order to get a foot in the door unless you have contacts. And so I did that. I, I worked for free or for very... Uh, very little money most of the time. And uh, I managed to work in different countries. I worked in Greece. I worked um, in France. I worked in the UK. And uh, right in the middle of the financial crisis, so it was 2011, I was working as a production assistant for a television commercial company. So they used to produce a lot of TV commercials. And so I was working as a, an assistant producer there. And uh, they were downsizing the company during during the financial crisis. So a lot of jobs basically eliminated and eventually so was mine. And the problem was that at the time, uh, when I got made redundant, everyone in every industry was basically making everyone redundant. So it was really hard to find another job. People would laugh at you if, if, if you would just submit an application. They'd be like, you've come at the wrong time. And now's not the time to ask for a job. So. I knew then and there that it was going to be really difficult for me to find a job. I mean, let alone in the television industry, but in, in any industry. I, I mean, people couldn't get jobs as a waitress at the time. And, and things yeah. haven't really improved in Greece, unfortunately. <laughs> and so for many years, my brother used to tell me when I was working in the television industry to just have an internet business because he has an internet business that does really well. He wrote, in fact, a, a New York Times bestselling book, the book, um, The Laptop Millionaire, which you might have heard of. And so for many years, he, uh, he used to tell me, just forget about that, just have an internet business. But I just couldn't picture myself doing that. I felt I wasn't qualified. I felt that it was just kissing goodbye to my dreams and to all the hard work and effort that I had put in, into working in that industry. And I just couldn't do it. But then when I lost my job, I called him. And I swallowed my pride and I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll, you know, tell me what to do. Teach and me so, about that laptop yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm ready now. Um, so, so he invited me to come to one of his events. So he, he would run some of the biggest internet marketing um, seminars in the UK. So I flew to the UK from Greece. I attended his, his seminar. And I was really mesmerized by, you know, the opportunity um, the opportunity and there was a speaker there that spoke about affiliate marketing on Twitter and 
for some reason, that strategy out of all the 20 different strategies that I heard of at that seminar appealed to me. And I thought, well, affiliate marketing is basically promoting other people's products, which is fine. It sounds good to me because I don't have a product of my own and Twitter's free to join. I was broke at the time. Surprise, surprise. And so I thought, well, I'll just do you know, affiliate marketing on Twitter. It seems like something I could do. And, mm-hmm. and at the time, there was a software called Tweet Attacks that basically it was just automated Twitter. So it, it basically created accounts for you on autopilot, followed people, unfollowed people. You could upload thousands of tweets and schedule them. So it, it was pretty much automated. So very quickly, I had 100 Twitter accounts. They all had about 1,000 followers there. So I had in total about 100,000 Twitter followers. And I was making about $700 a week from affiliate commission. So very quickly, within three weeks, I, I had replaced the income I had lost. So I kind of got hooked like that. And um, and so I, I then I moved on. I, I started building my list. So instead of promoting affiliate offers, I started capturing people's names and emails to build my list. Nice. And I started promoting offers via email marketing. And, and that went really well. And then I... I um, was put in touch with Steven S. So Steven S. at the time was a speaker for my brother. He used to speak at my brother's seminars and he had a webinar course. So he very successful with webinars. And so I uh, got put in touch with him. I did his course on webinars. I, I did my own webinar and I sold my own product on that webinar for $997. It was called Twitter Mastery. So I was teaching people basically what I was doing, how to leverage the power of Twitter. And, uh, and then um, I, I became kind of a webinar addict because I made 16 sales on my first webinar. So that was $16,000. So it would have taken me, yeah, I mean, it would have taken me about a year and a half working full-time in television to do that. And I did that in 90 minutes thanks to a webinar. So so really the rest is history. And and, um, nine months later, I got married to Stephen Essa, hence my name now is Karina Essa. (laughs) 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 So that's my story in a nutshell. So did you start doing webinars well. on a regular basis? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so yeah, p- pretty much. So now uh, we use webinars mainly as um, to generate sales for the companies that we have together. We have five companies uh, now and uh, together with my husband. And we use webinars mainly as, a, as to, to make sales for these, for these companies. So 90% of the sales come from webinars for these companies. That's a great story. Talk to us a little bit more about webinars. The, the you know I see lots of invites, get lots of invites to webinars, and uh, we have different channels, different mediums upon which we can communicate. Uh, you're using webinars, obviously, because there's some success. And your brother was he primarily using seminars, or was would he also use webinars? But it looks like there's a pattern here: collecting a group of people and and presenting them with a general topic idea. And then I'm guessing there's some type of pitch or call to action at the end of the webinar. Can you tell us a little bit more about webinars in in general? Well, webinars are just very powerful. I mean, I'll sound biased here, but they're very powerful because they, they convert 10 times higher than a standard website. So a website, a a normal standard website converts at 1%. So the problem with that is that you, in order to generate sales or full-time income from the internet, is you need to have a lot of traffic. And sometimes people struggle with traffic and traffic has become expensive now, obviously, because more and more people market online. Whereas with webinars, webinars convert, a standard webinar converts at 10%. So you only need 10 people to watch your webinar in order to generate one sale. So it just works be- better. It's just cheaper. Um and also with webinars, you can sell uh, high price ticket items. So you can sell you know, a $1,000 um, product, a $2,000 product, $3,000 products. I mean, we, we have uh, products for $15,000 that we sell on webinars. And we, you don't need as much traffic in order to generate that sale. So it's just, it's just a much more powerful way to make sales and high ticket um, sales as well. Um, so it just works better, especially now that traffic has become more expensive and more tricky to get because you need to stand out online. And so, so many people now are marketing online uh, that getting traffic cheaply like we could 10 years ago is, um, is not that easy anymore. 
Sure. So what, what type of products are you selling on these webinars? Are they, are they informational products? Are they courses? Are they both? Are they, uh, so are it, they... it really depends what your business model is. So, uh, seminar companies, for example, what they'll do is they'll run webinars to sell tickets to their seminar. So that's uh, pretty standard for event companies, uh, to sell seminar tickets. You can sell information products. So it works really well with information products like DVDs, courses, membership sites, etc. Because you basically, for an hour during the webinar, you give some content, you teach people about something, and then you invite them if they want to learn more to buy your whole course. Because there's, there's not a lot you can share in an hour. Usually it's really tricky to share everything you know, a whole course or the whole content of a book in in an hour. So what you do is you give them, it's almost like a teaser. It's not really a teaser because it's still an hour worth of content. Um uh, so it's, it's almost like a taste of what you know, what you would like to share with them. And usually 10% of the people who watch the webinar want to learn more and, you know, go go further, faster, and they'll buy the information products. So for information, excuse me, uh, that's my phone. For information products, it works really, uh, really well. Some people also sell physical products. So webinars are great. You can demonstrate how a physical product works. So you can do a demo. Uh, on how something works and then sell the product itself. Uh, so the, really the sky's the limit what you can sell. Some people use webinars for list building. So for example, they'll uh, invite people to opt in to watch a, a one-hour training. So it's a great list building tool. So instead of giving away free reports, uh, which is the standard thing in order to, to build a mailing list, you can give away a free webinar and you don't ne- necessarily need to sell anything uh, on the webinar. You just use it as a, as a lead magnet can do that. Something else that webinars is great for is to pre-qualify people. So let's say, for example, I don't know, you're selling real estate and it's really important that your lead is pre-qualified. You know, they need to be a certain age. They need to have maybe a certain amount of equity in their property or own a property or whatever it is, uh, whatever the selection criteria is. You can use webinars to pre-qualify people. So you, you still run a webinar. You educate people about, let's say, real estate investing, and then you uh, invite them to to apply to apply to buy something, for example, and uh, you, you pre-qualify them like that. So you don't necessarily sell them something on the webinar, but you pre-qualify them. You make them uh, apply or fill in an application form, etc. So you can get really creative with how you can use webinars, but webinars can be used in, I've seen webinars being used in all sorts of different business models. It's not just, uh, you know, inf- for information marketing. Interesting. Now, 10% versus 1%, that is, uh, that sounds awesome. Um, so with that being said, why, why do you think that a webinar converts at such a higher rate than just a website? Well, with websites, you see, the problem with websites is that people can click on all sorts of different things. Uh, so they can easily get distracted. They can uh, click on the about section, then they can click on the testimonial section, the terms and conditions. So there's not one specific call to action. And most of the time, people need to be educated before they buy something. So a, a webinar can educate people. And people are more likely to engage when they watch video than a, you know, a website. People tend to, to engage more with video. I mean, there's so many statistics around how more powerful videos are now online. That's why everything is turning into video now. So they're just more engaging, more powerful. And also, you have to remember, you're speaking to a person for about an hour and educating them for about an hour. So you have a very engaged prospect there. And so you're giving them a lot of value. And in order to for a sale to happen, whether it's online or offline, it's just an exchange of value. So if someone feels that they've received a lot of value, you know, the law of reciprocity kicks in. Even subconsciously, they don't even realize, but it's really the law of reciprocity that kicks in. This person has just given me an hour worth of gems, really. Um, and uh, and if, if they've given that for free, then imagine if I pay for whatever they're offering, how much I'll get out of it. And that's really uh, the psychology when someone watches a webinar. All right, so it's more like a tour guide rather than uh, letting them loose inside your house and letting them roam around and not 
quite get the, the, the gist of it all. Are the webinars that you host, are they live or do you pre-record them? Well, we do, we do both. We found that live webinars convert better usually because the person is live. So during a live webinar, you can answer questions and usually it's sales objections. So you can really address sales objections, sales objections on the live webinar, which is great. So someone who's wanting to buy, but not too sure if it's for them, et cetera, or they have questions before buying, you can address them there and then. So we find that live webinars tend to convert better. But we also record our live webinars. So the people who registered but didn't attend, they still get a recording. And we found that with recorded webinars, if you send a replay, they don't tend to convert as well because people feel that, you know, I can watch it anytime. And so they don't actually watch it <laughs> when they feel that they, they can watch it anytime, they end up not watching it and then forgetting about it. So what we do is we still make the replay available, but we make it available just for a few days following the live webinar. So we'll say, here's the replay, but remember that, you know, it's only available for 48 hours or it's only available for the next three days. And then we pull it down. So it forces people to watch it. Uh, so that's what we do with with replays, but we don't just send out replays. We run the live webinar first. We run, in fact, we run two webinars during the day. Uh, we give two options in terms of timings. Uh, we found that that just increased the attendance rate of a webinar when we say, because some people are available in the morning, some people are available in the evening. Uh, so for example, stay at home parents will be available in the morning when children are at school, but some people who work will be available in the evening when they come back from work. So we found that having a live webinar in the morning and a webinar in the evening tends to, to just make us more sales. So that's what we do. And then out of the two live webinars, we only release the replay of the highest converting one. So there's always one webinar that just did better for some reason. Uh, maybe we said the right thing at the right time, et cetera. We addressed the right sales objection, et cetera. So there's always one that converts better. And so that's the replay that we send out usually. So it's also a great way to not only make it easier for people to attend the live webinar, but also to split test well, which one converted better. So that's really how we make the, the replays work. I like how you take down the replay that that makes sense because uh yeah if you give me the option to say you can access this whenever you want and view it at your leisure mm-hmm. i'm not going to find the sense of urgency that i would if you said to ken you need to do this in the next 48 hours or it's gone forever that's right it's, it's something that people don't do unfortunately and they make it available so the next time they run a live webinar, the live webinar loses its appeal because, you know, some people might still have the replay available somewhere um, as well. So it allows you to, when you run your next live webinar, to to make it just as appealing as the first time you ran it because it's not available anywhere else. And that's very important. That's something that people forget. Or people put their replays on a website, for example, so it's there forever. So... Um, so it loses the appeal of a live webinar when you want to run one. Sure. Sure. So w- tell me a little bit how, about how you get people interested in attending or you actually get, because uh, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of the attendees of your webinar are new faces mm-hmm. rather than repeat customers. Well, uh, funnily enough, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are new face, obviously, because our, our mailing list keeps on replenishing itself. So, of course, we'll have new people. But we found that because we track everything through through Infusionsoft, we found that the people who actually buy are people who attended several webinars. So sometimes for some products, you know, uh, it's a two touch or a three touch sale. So the sale doesn't happen the first time, it doesn't happen the second time, but it might happen the third time. And so we've noticed that with webinars, so some people have watched the webinar and attended the live webinar over and over again, and they only bought the fourth time they attended. So it's a combination really of fresh people, of course, because our list is replenished, but it's also uh, people coming back to watch the webinar again. So maybe they weren't ready to buy at that time, or uh, the information at that time was not really relevant to them. They were not ready. 
uh, but then they're ready and they buy. It could be you know, three, four months down the line. So it's really a combination of both uh, who attend who attend webinars. You bring up an interesting point that that you would invite someone who attended the webinar and didn't purchase back to watch the same webinar again. Because I think that a lot of people would say, well, you know, Ken, Ken came and visited and wasn't interested. So we need to have, you know, Ken, Ken, Ken said no. So let's move on. And mm-hmm. you're finding that multiple touches is, is leading to in, in conversions in what cases though, or, or percentage wise, when you say you're, you know, if you're going to close down, let's say 50 people in at the end of a webinar, what percentage of those 50 people would be first time viewers versus second or third time viewers? Well, I found that the majority, I mean, I don't know if I'm just talking about our products and it could just be our products. I don't want to generalize here, but from our experience, we found that about, I'd say if I had to allocate percentages, I'd say that probably the majority, let's say 60% were, were people who had attended other webinars uh, okay. and had it bought. Um, and the other the other 40% would be fresh faces who had never attended any of our webinars. But I would say that definitely the majority uh, of people would be people who have attended webinars before. And, and most people, especially for high ticket items, it's, it's not a one touch sale. Sale, it's, um, you know, you need two touches, three touches, etc. And so people need to see the offer several times, etc. in order to buy. It's not, um, it's not as linear as a, a $40 product where, you know, people have nothing to lose. They've got $40 to lose, worst case scenario. With products that we sell on webinars, usually they're $1,000 plus. People need to see it again and again and again until they buy. So it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon to have people who watch webinars several times to buy after you know the third or the fourth time. And, and, the, and the good thing is, is that because we track everything on Infusionsoft, um, because with Infusionsoft, I'm, I'm not too sure if you're familiar with this system, but you... There's a tagging system. So every time someone performs an action, they get tagged. So, for example, if someone attended the webinar, they get tagged with the, you know, the webinar they attended. Uh, and they get tagged if they bought or they didn't buy, etc. So Infusionsoft allows you to do that. And so when we realized, when we realized that people were buying after the third or fourth time, we continued marketing to them. I know that it, it's... Um, it's the, the natural instinct is, well, if they say no the first time, I won't remarket to them again uh, because obviously it's not for them. And that would be the, the, the normal thing to do. But then when you start tracking and seeing the source, where, where the sales are coming from, you start adapting your marketing according to that. And so, um, and so for us, we stop marketing when the person unsubscribes from our list, but not when they haven't bought. I hope that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense, and I, I, we are familiar with Infusionsoft. And uh, could I find that uh, it'd be challenging to try to facilitate all of this without that data that that software provides? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know how people do it without it. I'm only familiar with Infusionsoft, and, I, and I'm sure that there's other systems very similar that track the same thing. Uh, we we stop marketing to people once they've bought, so we won't market to them again and again if, if they've bought. So, you know, we've got all the tagging system in place. If they're a customer already, we won't keep on marketing them the same offer, obviously. Um, so that's extremely important. I mean, 80% of the marketing comes from the tracking. Uh, so that, that's really, really key. And, you know, they say that sure. if, you know, so- if you're a good marketer, if, if you're a good marketer when, you know, you've, you've annoyed people and, you know, you've done your job well or something like that. And, and I couldn't agree <laughs> more. Sure <laughs> when people start complaining, Absolutely. you know, you've done your job. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what other, what other tools do you use? You said earlier on that in the beginning, when you were growing your Twitter following, you used something called tweet attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what type of, cause, cause I'm, I'm guessing with growing your email list, are you using a combination of social media, 
marketing to to then grow that email list then use that email list to nurture to webinar invites is that kind of the the flow that you're you're using right now yeah that's i mean we we use def, uh, different list building tools initially when i first started back in 2011 it was mainly from twitter with through twitter tags i don't think that i don't think twitter tags works anymore it's, it's no longer available as far as i know i i know that because it was pretty much spamming Twitter. Unfortunately, too many people were using it and, and destroyed it for everyone. Um, Twitter suspended it. So I don't know if a new version is out. Um, I'm not aware of that. Um, but initially, I got a list of 3,000 people just doing that. So from my 100,000 Twitter followers, I managed to build a list of 3,000 people uh, using tweet attacks and Twitter. And then, of course, awesome. the, the, the list grew organically. So, you know, when I send out an email, I would say, you know, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter. So word of mouth worked really well. Um, we run a lot of events and we do a lot of media buying. So we do a lot of Facebook advertising for list building. We do a lot of joint venture, uh, joint ventures for list building, uh, a lot of solo ads. So we pay people to mail their list. We do a lot of that. And I do a lot of blogging. So um, I find that blogging works really well. So uh, publishing a blog post every every week, it's about um, a thousand word blog post. So, um, so of course, the blog post has calls to action for people to join and, and sign up to the newsletter. So um, we build our list like that. So it's just a combination of all that, that builds and replenishes the, the existing list. Now, let's touch a little bit about your book, Money on Demand, The 16 Fastest Ways to Becoming a Millionaire Online. Why did you write this book? And what does it cover? Who is it? Who is it written for? Well, we, we've had, my husband and I had, had a lot of success with webinars. We tried different strategies and we couldn't find a strategy to this day that worked as well as webinars for us. And there was a lot written about webinars. A lot of people, of course, have courses on webinars. It's not a new concept, but there wasn't really comprehensive book on all the ways you can profit from webinars. Um, there, there was courses on how to use webinars if you were an expert or if you had knowledge, etc. But what about the people who weren't experts uh, on, on a topic, didn't know what to, what to talk about on a webinar, didn't have the gift of the gab, weren't born uh, or born presenters or natural presenters? What about them? And so we decided to write a book to not only help people who already uh, had presentation skills, etc., already had products, uh, etc., to leverage the power of webinars, but also to help people who were starting from scratch, who didn't have a website, who didn't have a product, who weren't an expert on anything. And, and that book also helps them basically discover all the different ways you can still profit from webinars, even if you don't want to speak on a webinar, even, even if you don't want to, pre, uh, to talk on a webinar, if you, even if you don't have a product to sell. So it, it's really what the book covers is 16 different ways that you can profit from, from webinars. So you basically, every chapter is a strategy. And so you can read all of the 16 different ways that we've monetized webinars and just pick the one that fits who you are and what you want to do or what your business model is. So, uh, I mean, just to give you an example of the, of the different ways, there's the, uh, we call it the, the show and tell method. Uh, so that's basically promoting your own product. On a webinar, we've got the, the JV and partnership webinar model where um, you basically promote someone else's webinar for 50, uh, 50 share of the, of the profits. Um, you've got also... Uh, um, a method is called the lazy money method, which is basically how to profit from webinar replays. Uh, then there's the paid webinar method. So that's also where you record a webinar and you charge for the webinar. So the webinar itself becomes a product. So you don't sell anything on the webinar, but the webinar is what you sell. So there's so many different ways. There's 16 different ways. And uh, and each chapter basically dedicates um is, is dedicated to a strategy. And there's, at the end of each chapter, there's a, there's a case study. So we show how a specific person implemented that specific strategy and the outcome of it. Uh, so that's really how the, the book is structured. I like it because <laughs> it covers so many different 
types of of readers and their personalities. You you made a, an interesting point, I think, earlier in our conversation when in 2011 you found yourself looking at what am I going to do and you contacted your brother, but you felt, I think you said you felt like you, you weren't qualified to, to Mm -hmm. run an internet business. And I can see a lot of our listeners say, webinar sounds fantastic. I'd love to, to have a webinar, conduct a webinar, but I don't feel like I'm qualified or I don't have the comfort level. So it sounds like the book will have something for everyone. Absolutely. I mean, even for B2B companies uh, who are wondering how to scale using webinars, there's a whole chapter dedicated at uh, B2B companies. And and with a case study on uh, on a lady called Karen Bonanno and how she basically used webinars in, in her B2B company to, to scale her business. So the, the sky is really the limit with what you can do with webinars. And I think I think it, it filled a gap. There was a big gap in, in our industry when it came to when it came to webinars. People thought that basically you have to be a speaker, you have to have a presentation, and it's just a question of having basically your your speech um, in a webinar format, and that's it. And if you're not that, then you can't use webinars. And it's a huge misconception. That's great. Yes. That's that, I'm sure it's going to sound very comforting to a lot of our listeners, which is, which is fantastic because all the ad- advantages of a webinar that you've explained is, uh, I guess you, you really leave no excuses why not to have a webinar because your book is the blueprint for anyone and everyone. And uh, I think you spent the beginning of the conversation explaining how advantageous it can be. So it sounds like we'll uh, have lots of success stories from listeners about their webinars per your advice. Absolutely, can, and looking forward to uh, to hearing all these uh, all these success stories. We have had, as a result of the book launch, we have had a lot of uh, success stories coming in, and uh, and it's uh, I think it's been really rewarding for us. That uh, you know, for us, it really shows that our efforts have um, have, uh, have paid really because uh, for us, the biggest reward is knowing that people not only enjoy the book and not just you know. Uh, they, they don't just agree with us intellectually that the, the book is good content, but they actually go ahead and implement it and, and tell us all about it. Yes, taking action. That's something that uh, we, we all read a lot and we, we digest lots of information, but actually taking action from it is spectacular to see. Now, is where's the best place that uh, someone could purchase your book? Well, Amazon is at the moment where it's available. So just Amazon.com, type in Money on Demand. And uh, you'll you'll find the book there. It's uh, it's um, it it will be shipped uh, usually wherever you are uh, in the world. There shouldn't be a problem with that. It will be soon available in the bookstores in in the U.S. Uh, from step, uh, September onwards. So it will definitely be available in bookstores. We've got a publisher in the U.S. and also a publisher in Australia. So um, it will be available in, in the bookstores very soon. But in the meantime, it's it's Amazon. And we'll include a link to your book on Amazon in the show notes for, for everyone to, to access as well. So tell me a little bit about social media worldwide. This is your business, uh, mm-hmm. different from the book in, I Guess I think the webinars you have that strategy tied into this a little bit, but could you tell us a little bit about social media worldwide, what it is, and uh, what you do, and who you do it for, and all that fun stuff? Yeah, well, when uh, when I first uh, started on the internet, as I said, I, I put together my own product called Twitter Mastery, and I started selling an information product on how to leverage Twitter for marketing, and and I realized that th- there was a, a gap. Uh, there was a gap in the market that a lot of people either didn't have time to implement what I was teaching or didn't have the skill or didn't have the patience for it because it is pretty time consuming to market on social media if if you want to do it effectively. It's not a set and forget kind of thing. And so I had a lot of people, I had no intention of of creating a social media agency, which is what social media worldwide is. I had no intention of doing that. I just had people come to me and ask me if I could, 
if I had a done for you service, basically what if what I taught uh, in my Twitter mastery course, I, I could actually do it for them for a fee. So I started taking on a few clients. Um, and then p- people from word of mouth would say, do you also do Facebook? So I started also helping people with their Facebook marketing, providing done for you services for them. And, um, and it just grew organically from, from there. I had no intention whatsoever of having an agency. At the time, I didn't even know what an agency was. Um, and it just grew like that. And, and then, you know, of course, the Google Plus came in and then there was Instagram. And, and I just started having all these clients. Um, and I, I, all of a sudden, I, I found myself working 16 hours a day just doing all the social media marketing for these people. And so um, I, I was at the point of burnout because I just, I was, I was working on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. I mean, <laughs> I was working all the time and I was like, I, I thought that having a business, having an internet business was about, all about freedom and I've never worked so hard. So it was just that, that breaking point. And, and so I hired someone part-time and, and, and very quickly that person got really busy. So that person became full-time and so that person needed help. So that person hired uh, hired someone else, and we're now about, I think we're about 11 members of staff at the moment. And so it's just a company that grew organically initially from word of mouth, from the initial customers I got buying buying my course. And and I, I kind of stopped selling courses because I just noticed that um, although, you know, the profit margins are amazing when you sell a course, I mean, you, there's no cost of delivering anything, but I just realized that people really what they want is someone to do it for them. They just don't have the time or the the skill, the patience for it. And so I I replaced selling the course with selling the the done-for-you service. And and now uh, on webinars, I sell the done-for-you service instead of of the course. And and so um, I just found that that's really what people wanted more than learning how to do it. What really people wanted is someone to do it for them. And um, and a lot of businesses that we have, they're small businesses, so they don't have the budget to have someone full-time in-house because it can cost from, you know, $4,000 a month to maybe $8,000 a month to have a full-time social media manager in-house. And so we're, you know, we're um, the, the, next base, the next best thing from, from having someone in-house. So that's really what Social Media Worldwide is about. That's a interesting story how you you developed that out of a need you noticed by listening to your customers. Uh, I love that. That's right. And, and a lot of people, you know, when they talk about business ideas, they say, oh, you know, did, did you write a business plan? And, and how did you write your business plan? And and re- I don't really believe in business plans. It's just a terrible thing to, to say. But um, I, I find that the customers tell you, what they want, what they need, not the other way around. So you can plan yeah. all day long, but usually nothing goes according to plan. Every time I've planned something, nothing has gone according to plan. So I said, okay, forget forget about that. I'll, I'll just let let the market tell me. I mean, your, your bank account tells you what you should do and shouldn't do. You know, there's some things that don't bring in revenue and some things that do and just keep on doing what brings you revenue. I mean, Infusionsoft will tell you, you know, what to do. You know, you, you can track everything. Some things don't work, some things work and just keep on doing what works rather than, than planning ahead because um, there's so many things that happen unexpectedly, you know. The, the online world is something that changes all the time. There's new social media platforms that you can't even predict, you can't even uh, see coming. Um, new things happening. I mean, I know with social media now, um, there's a, a few years ago, there's, you could do a lot of things organically. Now, you know, there's not a lot of things you can do without paying for advertising on social networks. So things keep on changing all the time. So it's really, it's really hard to forecast 10 years ahead what your business is going to look like because really no one knows. Absolutely. So and you bring up a really interesting point about the changing landscape of social media because it, it has evolved so quickly. You think back, uh, it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have social media and now we, we do. And just the progression of let's just say Facebook and how you used to be able to get information in front of those that followed you mm-hmm. uh, as a business much easier than you can today at much lower cost. Uh, 
Where do you see the biggest opportunities right now in social media? Uh, where do you see coming down the lines uh, in the future? And uh, how do you, how do you go about managing the the the, the ever changing landscape? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really tricky for us being a social media agency. We really have to be ahead of all the changes, always knowing what's happening, you know, the, the new changes, etc. What I see happening now, I mean, it's, it's no secret. It's becoming pay to play. If you don't have an advertising budget on social networks, it's really hard to to achieve anything organically. I mean, Facebook's organic reach, you know, it's next to zero if you post something no one no matter how many fans you have hardly anyone will see your posts um unless you pay for it unless you you promote your posts that's a big thing so i think that um if you don't have an advertising budget don't don't waste your time on social media because you'll be left behind you're competing with people who do um so that's one thing also videos taking over so of course you know from facebook and instagram they introduce a lot of video features like live live videos, Instagram stories, etc. So they're putting a lot of money into video infrastructure. So definitely include some form of video marketing in your in your marketing plan because um because video is going to play a major role when it comes to to marketing on the on the internet and on social media. Um, so I would say paid advertising definitely and video videos basically going to take over and and they're actually rewarding people um who who use videos and who who publish videos on social media they give them more organic reach so if um if you feel that you're not not reaching enough people through your posts uh including videos will definitely improve your organic reach now, video is something I think is on everyone's radar. They really have their ears perked up. They're, they understand. I mean, they see it. If you look at any Facebook feed or Twitter feed or Instagram, videos becoming a, a higher percentage of that feed than ever before. Where I, when, when I talk to lots of business owners about social, their biggest hurdle is the production of that video, um, getting the, the video content mm-hmm. created in order to share. Does social media worldwide, do you guys create video for your clients? Do you have them shoot their own video organically at their site and they send it to you? Is it a combination of both? Does it depend on the structure they work with you? How does how does that work? Yeah, I mean, we definitely produce videos for, for our clients. It depends what type of video, if they're going to be front of camera or not. In that case, we need them to, you know, to shoot a video of themselves. Uh, if it's just... PowerPoint with um, or images with uh, narration and background music will do that for them. So it really depends on the format of the video. But you, you said something interesting. You said that a lot of people, uh, the, the, the biggest hurdle is, you know, the production of a video. And what we found is that the more, the, sorry, the less polished a video is, the, the more amateur looking it is. Um, the, the more views. So people tend to lower their guards when they see a video that looks like amateurish kind, kind of amateurish because they feel that it's less salesy. Sure. Whereas when they see a really polished video with graphics and special effects, etc., cetera, um, they, they don't get as much engagement, these videos. So when people come to you and say, you know, I, you know producing high quality videos can be a bit tricky, etc. It, that shouldn't be a problem, in fact, because the, the more natural your video looks, uh, the, the the better it converts. In fact, the, the, the more viewers it attracts because people feel that, oh, it's just a casual message that this person has for me. They're not trying to sell me anything. Or That's why live videos, uh, Facebook Live works so well because usually, you know, they're, they're shot on a, on a phone camera. Um, you know, there's no tripod, there's no special effects, etc. And they tend to work really, really well. So, so now anyone can really produce um, engaging videos. All you need is your phone, which you know, everyone has. And, and you can end up producing a, a, a really good converting video just, just, with your, just with your phone. What is important is the sound. So you, what can be off-putting for people is you know, bad quality sound. 
more than bad, bad quality images. People can overcome bad quality images, but they don't like bad quality sound. So you have to make sure that there's no background noise when you record your video. You maybe you have a microphone uh, that that works well. Uh, so the sound is more important than the visuals, and, and people think that's the other way around. The visual is more important, and also it's it's what the, the content of the video is important. People spend too much attention to, you know, what it looks like rather than what you're actually saying to people. It should provide value. It should create an aha moment for people. So you should be revealing something of value to them so they keep engaged. Uh, I, I see too many people just, you know, record videos of themselves saying nothing or just fluff, really, or repeating themselves. There's no structure to the video. There's... Um, there's nothing shared that's interesting, um, and, and that can be quite off-putting. So I would tell people, don't focus so much on the quality of the production. Definitely have good sound because that, of course, is very important, but also uh, think about what you're going to say um, and why you're going to say what you're going to say and always have a strong call to action. There's no point in having a video out there that has no call to action. Every piece of content out there should include a call to action. It doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, buy my stuff now, but it could be something uh, such as, you know, subscribe to my YouTube channel, something that's a low, I call it a low commitment call to action. It, it could be anything as long as you have a call to action. You need to train your audience to act as a result of seeing a piece of, of your content. So sometimes videos who, that don't have a strong call to action, they kind of fall flat, whereas having a call to action, it really, it allows you to end the video strongly. Awesome advice. And it's interesting that you make that, that uh, comment about the raw footage or the, the less polished video getting more views, because I think it's, I think it's really accurate that uh, we, we are uh, less guarded and, and more, likely to engage in that type of video because we we don't feel like it's got the smoke and mirror salesy uh, approach to it that uh, might trick us into something we're so we're so cautious as consumers or or viewers of videos that we don't want to potentially be led into something that we didn't intend on being led into so i i, I like that uh, idea especially since it's more inviting to those uh because video professional video production and there are some excellent video production companies out there that do some amazing work mm-hmm. comes at a cost and that, that drastically changes uh how much video you can produce and how often uh, you can push that out so uh, great advice what are you working That's on awesome. now what what has you really excited uh, about the the current present or or what's coming down the line in the in the near future? Well, usually once a year, and we're at this stage uh, of the year uh, at the moment in our businesses, we look at what worked well, what didn't work so well. So we're at the stage where we're um, looking at everything and, and streamlining a few things and and planning ahead what we're going to do more of and less of. Um, so, um, so that's where we're at and, and this is the time of the year we actually do that. So we're getting really excited about, you know, the, the big wins this year, uh, and how to scale these and, and some of the losses, of course, because, you know, if you have wins, you have losses, some of the losses and, um, instead of dwelling on them, just making sure that, um, uh, you know, we, we don't do that again or we replace it with something else. Uh, that worked better. So that's really where we're at at the moment, just streamlining and, and scaling. Awesome. Love it. Plan ahead and review what's working well. Good stuff. Hey, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Should they go to your website? There's uh, our YouTube channel. So youtube.com forward slash social media worldwide. So there's about a hundred training videos on social media marketing there. So that's uh, youtube.com forward slash nice social media worldwide for people who want to learn more about social media marketing beautiful all right we will include that in the show notes karina before we say goodbye today if you had one piece of parting advice for our listening audience what would that be i tell them that consistency is key 
So whatever you're doing, you have to do it consistently. When it's when it's uh, social media, you know, do social media marketing consistently. It's not a it's not a one-off thing. If you're going to have a, a social media account, you know, post daily, consistently, etc. If you're going to blog, do it consistently. You know, you don't you won't get rich from one blog post or two blog posts. Um, so do it consistently yeah. because I found that whatever I've done, uh, I, I've made the most returns when I did it consistently. So that's one piece of advice. And also that on the internet, it's all about providing value. So if you're not making the, the money or the revenue you'd like to make, uh, just look at how much value you're providing because really um, it's, it's, uh, your income is a direct proportion of the value you provide. The more value you provide, the more money you make. And that's what I learned. And so sure. just apply the 80-20 rule, 80% value, 20% selling. And, and that's, you know, that's the rule I implement with everything. You know, 80% of the of my time spent on a webinar is about providing value and teaching people things, and then 20% of it is selling. When I send out an email, I make sure that 80% of the emails I send out is value, 20% I'm selling. So the 80-20 rule uh is also key. So consistency and providing more value and applying the 80-20 uh, rule. That's really my piece of advice. Beautiful. Awesome advice. We talk about the providing value a lot on here. So 80-20 rule, 80% value, 20% selling. Great stuff, Karina. All right, Nia Noise Nation, we hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Karina. Be sure to go over and check out her website at www.socialmediaworldwide.com. You can purchase her book on amazon.com by simply typing in money on demand. Go check that out. Karina, thanks so much for being on the show today. A uh, ton me. of great value. We we appreciate you coming on and really enjoyed the conversation with you today. Uh, the show notes for today will be available at neongoldfish.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, this is Justin Ken and Karina signing off. Neon Noise Nation, we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Neon Noise Podcast. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, please subscribe, share with a friend, or write a review. We want to cover the topics you want to hear. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like Justin and Ken to cover, connect with us on Twitter at Neon Goldfish or through our website at neongoldfish.com.